Revelation chapters 4 and 5 give us a glimpse into the order of reality. God stands alone at the center, and everything else revolves around him in worship. But often we view ourselves at the center of the universe, with God orbiting around us. Our faith is just another thing we do alongside our jobs, our hobbies, and our relationships. But Revelation 4-5 to disabuses us of that illusion. Worship is not just something that we do. It's what we were made for. It is what all of creation was made for. And at the heart of all things is God and everything revolving around him, everything worshiping him. The other thing that we learn in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 is that heaven is where things happen. Peter Lightheart says that heaven has a history. Heaven is where things happen first. And what he means by that is that heaven itself is a created reality. God created the heavens and the earth. What happens in heaven has a direct effect on what happens on the earth. This is God's situation room, the place where he makes the decisions and decrees what's going to happen in the earthly realm. It all begins here, at the heart of the universe, in the throne room of God, reigning over the nations. This is Understanding Revelation. The heavenly drama in Revelation chapter 4 to 5 unfolds in two parts. In part 1, John sees God's throne surrounded by 24 elders and four living beasts. In part 2, John sees Christ receive from God's throne a scroll bound with seven seals, which he alone is worthy to open. Let's begin with part 1 in Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. As I've mentioned before in prior episodes, three key ideas help us understand Revelation. First, Revelation is a book of hope for a suffering church. Second, Revelation is about events that are soon to happen in John's day. They are in his immediate future and our distant past, at least the majority of Revelation. The third thing is that the symbols are drawn from Old Testament imagery. God wants his people to know that they are living in fulfillment of all the things that God has promised in the Old 
Testament. And we're going to see that these Old Testament images are all over Revelation chapters 4 and 5. In Revelation 4, we see God's throne room, and it features three characters. First, it features God himself, whose glory shines like the precious stones of Jasper and Carnelian. And these stones are worn on the breastplate of the priests in Old Testament Israel. The priests would have 12 stones, 12 precious gems, and the first one was Jasper, and the final one was Carnelian. And so he's kind of using this imagery to say that here is the source of the 12 tribes of Israel. Here is the God of Israel, the one who shines like Jasper and Carnelian. We also see that there's a rainbow that looks like emerald as a sign of God's faithfulness to Noah. Remember, Noah was given the sign of a rainbow to say, I'm never going to flood the earth again. That was God's covenant with Noah. And also there's a sea of glass, which forms the border between heaven and earth. That's called the firmament. And what we see in the Old Testament is the way they viewed the world was that above the heavens was this sort of uh, watery border between the heavenly realm of God's realm and our earthly realm, right? The sky and the ground of the earthly realm. And so we see it here. It's viewed as a sea of glass. And that's actually going to be an important image as we move later on into the book of Revelation. So he shines like precious stones. He has the rainbow reminding him of of the faithfulness that he promised to Noah, never to flood the world again. And then there's the sea of glass, the border between heaven and earth. The second thing we see is that the 24 elders on the thrones are clothed with white garments and they cast their crowns before God's throne in worship. This is likely a heavenly choir of priests like the 16 sons of Eleazar and the eight sons of Ithamar that King David appointed to sing in the temple. That's 1 Chronicles 24, 3. So there's this heavenly choir of angelic creatures whose job is to worship the Lord. Third, we see these four living beasts which resemble the four beasts in Ezekiel chapter 1, when he has a vision of God's heavenly chariot. But there's a significant difference. In Ezekiel's vision, the beasts each have four wings and four faces per beast. But in John's vision, each uh, creature has one face and each one has six wings. And the, the images that we, we see are that each of the creatures, the first one has a, a lion face, the second one has an ox face, the third one has the face of a man, and the fourth one, the face of an eagle. Commentators differ on what this means. I don't really know fully what it means. There might be an allusion to the created order. There might be an allusion to the four gospel writers. But regardless, what's important is that they have wings, which identify them as angelic creatures, but they also have eyes covering their wings. They're never at rest. They're constantly 24-7, 365, worshiping God. They exist to worship him day and night with eyes that never shut. And from the throne is fire and lightning and thunder and loud noises in the heavens. And this reflects what happens at Mount Sinai. When Moses leads his people to Mount Sinai, God's presence descends on it. That's where he gets the Ten Commandments from. And it's on fire. It's a terrifying sight. And here we see in heaven that same presence of God, the earth-shaking, terrifying power and glory of God is surrounding John like it surrounded that mountain. And it is causing John to fall dead at his feet like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he encounters the heavenly temple of the Lord. So the suffering church needs to see this. They may be tempted to think that their fate lies in the hands of their persecutors. But John's vision reminds them that at the center of the universe is not a Roman emperor. It's not their persecutors, 
It's God, the God who loves them, the God who fights for them. And worship acknowledges the order of reality with God at the center. By him, all things were created. That's what they declare and say about God. All things were created by you, and by you all things exist. God sustains and creates all things. Who can stand against him? This is the God who is on our side. And it is fear of God that casts out fear of man. This is why John says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He is eternal. He was, he is, and is to come. And he is set apart. He's in a class of his own, three times holy. We see that Trinitarian triad once again, holy, holy, holy. And then the scene shifts. It goes from a vision of the throne room of God to focusing on a new member that has entered in to heaven. The God-man, Christ incarnate, that the Son of Man has put on flesh and now as the resurrected king, he comes to receive a sealed scroll. Listen to Revelation chapter 5, the first five verses. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. This is a vision of Christ's ascension from the heavenly perspective. Christ was not just raised from the dead, but he ascended into heaven to the right hand of the Father. Now notice the direction. There's a throne that John sees, and instead of a person at the right hand of the Father, there's a book, and this book can't be opened. It's sealed shut, and John weeps that no one is worthy to open this book. What does this scroll represent? What does this book represent? Well, in Daniel chapter 12, an angel tells Daniel that there's a book, that there are words of prophecy that must be sealed until the end, that that no one can understand the contents of this prophecy to Daniel until this period of time called the end happens and someone is worthy to open this scroll. And Jesus is here and he opens the scroll. He receives the scroll to open, which shows that now it's the time of the end. The end times is a period of time. It's the last block of time before God's final judgment. It's a time that we currently live in, the final phase of God's redemptive plan. So the scroll represents God's plan that is now about to be unveiled because one has been found worthy to break its seal. It's ready to be opened up. It's like a time capsule that the time to open it has been fulfilled. The second thing that it represents is the authority of God over all the nations. Daniel chapter 7, we've mentioned this in prior episodes, is really key to understanding Revelation. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel receives a vision of a son of man on a cloud coming before the Ancient of Days, which is God, receiving authority over nations and people and languages and tongues, this worldwide kingdom. And here Jesus is receiving what was promised in Daniel 7. John is seeing what Daniel saw in his prophecy, in his prophetic vision, that Jesus ascends as the son of man on a cloud and he's receiving from God all the authority over the kingdoms. That's why the living creatures and all of the uh, saints and all the people in heaven are saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. 
For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom of priests. That's very similar language to Daniel 7, when this kingdom of every tribe, people, and nation is given to the Son of Man. We're seeing that happen right here. So Daniel 12 of a sealed prophecy, and Daniel 7 of a Son of Man receiving authority over a kingdom, now converge in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 with the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, ascending to heaven, being worthy to open the sealed scroll to reveal God's plan, and also receiving the scroll as a sign of his authority over the nations, receiving God's authority. God's plan and God's power and authority are given to Christ, represented by this scroll. Now, Revelation 5 continues in verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This imagery of thousands of myriads of creatures is lifted again from Daniel 7, describing the Ancient of Days. And so we see in Revelation 4 and 5, again, a composite of Daniel 7. That the Ancient of Days on his throne, surrounded by a heavenly host, and the Son of Man ascending to him, both those things are happening in Revelation 5. They're fulfilled in Christ because he's the root of David and he's the lion from the tribe of Judah. This is a reference to a promise that God made, that from Judah would come a king, a ruler. And from David's line, God would give an everlasting kingdom, and he would also receive an heir who would reign forever, an everlasting heir. Well, that's Jesus Christ. He is the son of David. He is the one who sits on his throne forever. He's enthroned forever because he lives forever. And that's why he's worthy to take the scroll. But that's not the only reason he's worthy. He's also worthy because he's the lamb who was slain. It's kind of like you, you, you see this vision of the throne room of God, and then you want to see who is this worthy person, and the curtain opens, and what do we see? Well, John tells us there's a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into the earth. The seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits, that's the fullness. Seven represents fullness. It's the fullness of the Holy Spirit there. And now the Spirit is sent out into the world. Remind you of Pentecost, right? To convict the world of unrighteousness. He's sent out because something has happened in heaven. The Son has risen up. But why has he been raised? Because he was slain. Who is the worthy one in the line of David? It's this lamb. The lion is also a lamb. And how does he conquer? He conquers by shedding his blood for his people. He conquers through suffering. He conquers by not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took the form of a slave, and obeyed to the point of death. And that's why Philippians 2 tells us he was highly exalted. And we're seeing that happen in real time here. The conquering king is a slain lamb. And that means for all of the followers of that conquering king, they too will have to shed their blood as martyrs. And that's the encouragement because martyrdom is a huge theme in Revelation as we move on into later chapters. It is through the faithful witness of God's people, even to the point of shedding their blood, that the power of the gospel is manifested, that the truth of the kingdom is revealed to the world. This is why Jesus says to his followers, if you want to follow me, you got to pick up your cross. You got to deny yourself. 
But if you do that, you're going to find life. Whoever gives up his life for my sake will find it. And that's the promise here. We're following a Savior who conquers through his death and his self-sacrifice. That means that's the model for us as well. And this should be an encouragement to suffering saints. Because at the heart of the universe is a God who loves them, who shed his blood for them, who is not going to let them go, who doesn't count their lives as cheap. And here's the other amazing thing. It says at the very end of chapter 5, the living creatures and all the hosts of heaven fall down and worship Christ. Only God is allowed to be worshipped, which means what? That John knows that Jesus Christ is God. He sees and gives us a Trinitarian doctrine right here in Revelation chapter 5. Jesus Christ is the one true God and deserving of our worship. And every Sunday, that's what we do. We enter into the heavenly gates. We join this chorus of people worshiping God, of the saints worshiping God, of angels worshiping God, and we behold his glory. If you really understood that, you would never miss church again. It wouldn't just be some activity or hobby you do with other people who like religious stuff. You would realize you're going to church to come before the throne of God and that he's there with you. He is present. And that same power that worship has to encourage the first century church is the same power it has to encourage us in the 21st century. No matter what's happening in the world, this is the center. At the core is God on the throne with Christ, the worthy one, the lamb who was slain, reigning over all the nations. God really is in charge. He's really in control. And if we don't see this with our earthly eyes, we can see it with the eyes of faith, recognizing that the end of all histories is going to finish with the glory of God and the kingdom of God and the wedding feast of the bride and the bridegroom.